0: Artistic Whispers Productions presents Antithesis Book One Predestination and Other Games of Chance. A podcast novel written and performed by J. Daniel Sawyer. Author contact information at www.jdsawyer.net. Featuring the vocal talents of Danny Shade, Kitty McCann, Ryan Levy,
1: Aaron K. Balabanian, Stephanie Sawyer,
0: George Clensos. With original music by Danny Shade. This story contains harsh language, sexual situations, and graphic violence. Listener discretion is advised. And now, episode 22. Hello, this is Michael Lamangelo, the voice of Xyler. You're listening to Predestination, and this is the story so far. The time has come to settle up old accounts, and Cassie doesn't like indirect approaches. Upon docking at Nineveh, she immediately put in an appearance at Phalanx and confronted Joss with the evidence that Scott Walters was one of his operatives. Joss likes the direct approach. That's why he invited her to dinner. Of course, he doesn't know that Douglas Reeves is on the station, and he doesn't know that the Hartmans are on their way. Jim and Allie Hartman took a heavy boost ship out of Mars orbit, racing to catch up with Nineveh despite the poor orbital timing. (laughs) And it was probably a good thing. Their bones needed the weeks of gravity, and the heavy acceleration meant that most of the trip was spent under sedation, rather than arguing or avoiding one another. Now they're on Nineveh, a place haunted by unexpected ghosts from their past.
1: Attention all passengers, please stow loose items and secure your flight harnesses. Final docking maneuvers will commence in five minutes.
0: The five-minute warning awoke Allie in freefall. The sedative had worn off, leaving behind only the ghostly aftereffects of the g hallucinations. She heard Jim breathing in his wall harness and forced herself not to look at him. She could tell by the sound that he was facing her. After all this, he still gazed at her when she wasn't looking. The harness pulled gently at her as the retro thrusters fired for the last time. She felt the excited hum as the electromagnets grabbed hold of the ship, passing it along at a constant speed down the throat of Nineveh's passenger docking bore. The gentle pressure as inertia shifted her against the harnesses made her glad she'd taken the SEDS. Although she hadn't been awake for the heavy G, her body carried the reminders of the abuse. Stiff joints, tender breasts, aching eyes. She probably burst a capillary somewhere along the way. After the ship settled gently into its moorings and her feet found the floor as floor rather than as just another wall, the slight weight, no more than one-twentieth gravity, bearing down on her toe joints made her wince. Disembarking was tolerable, but once they started descending the levels, she'd be in for eight kinds of hell. The interior of Nineveh's habitation deck spun at about one gravity, give or take a fraction as one ascended or descended. After months in Martian gravity, her bones and muscles would be shit for bearing up under her own body's weight. Moving out through customs, she felt Jim's hand wander repeatedly to the small of her back. It was all she could do not to slap him. They were in public and marginally on the clock. There was no time to air out the shit they had between them. And, she admitted, she would be just as happy if she could find a way away from him without airing it out at all. Ever. Instead, she gritted her teeth and maneuvered through the crowd ahead of him wherever she could. Customs didn't hassle them about their weapons. They didn't ask to see proof of profession. They didn't seem to care about much at all, except plants. They were both nearly strip-searched by officials ostensibly checking for unquarantined seeds, and then put through a decon wash to make sure they weren't harboring any spores while their clothes and belongings were irradiated. At the end of the conveyor belt, Allie found herself in a locker room with a dozen other people, each light-footing about in the low gravity with baggage claim tickets, trying to find the locker number that matched so they could retrieve their clothes and belongings. She made it a point not to look for Jim until she was dressed, and then she waited in the exit hall for him to make sure she didn't have to look at more of him than was absolutely necessary. The commission said that Reeves' representative would be waiting for them in the gallery around the main lifts. Jim found Allie waiting for him near the exit from customs. She didn't give him a second glance. She didn't have to. She was making him pay for his little sojourn with the Children of Light and for finding them the job on Sidon, and probably a thousand other little injuries that his moodiness had inflicted on her over the years. He knew it. And he would wait. Sooner or later, she'd come out of it. He wanted to be angry with her, but he knew he didn't have the right. He'd made her wait often enough over the years when he got too angry or too frustrated and checked himself into his little emotional cave for days or weeks on end. There was enough blame to go around without adding more to the pile. The outer concourse was wide and low, like a cavern drilled by dwarves trying to mimic a convention center. Coming out from customs, they stood at the narrow mouth of an ever-widening funnel-shaped room that terminated at the far end in a bank of lifts boarded on either side by tram tracks. When a tram cleared its moorings, he could see all the way down the long bore of the station, with the green belt surrounding them on all sides. Sidon had nothing on this place. As they approached the lifts, Jim couldn't help but break off and detour to the tram station railing and look down. Hundreds of hectares stretched out below him, sprouting wheat crops, rice crops, trees he didn't know the names for, fruits and vegetables. He hadn't seen so much green in one place since well before leaving Earth three years ago. He stood transfixed, taking it all in, drinking in the mixed, earthy smells wafting up to him in the breeze. We weren't meant to live like this he found himself repeating it over and over to himself. The children were wrong. Destiny didn't take men out to the stars. Men who were smart about what they did would stay firmly rooted to their native soil, where the wind wasn't made by fans and the air smelled of something other than machine oil and packed-tight humanity. Where you could look up and see blue sky instead of deck plates or black or the feeble orange of the Martian atmosphere. Where there were hills... Cool and green, nestled under white spring clouds. All these years, and he'd never known he missed it. Jim! Allie's voice, harsh and irritated, pierced his reverie like the self-indulgent bubble that it was. Still leaning on the railing, he tore his gaze away from the beautiful fields below and looked right. Allie stood, her hand in the air like she was trying to flag down a taxi. Seas of people moving around her. When she caught his eyes, she gave him a glare that said, What the fuck do you think you're doing? He twitched his head slightly, a well-practiced question that she knew how to read. Have you found who we're waiting for? She nodded and waved him over again. When she saw him shoulder his pack, she turned away and retreated back through the crowd. The thing about blind hires, particularly with slippery motherfuckers like Doug Reeves, was that you never really knew what you were in for. As he dodged through the columns of foot traffic moving to and from the lifts, Jim wondered if anything could possibly be worse than the job that Allie first bumped into him on. They hadn't exactly worked for him before, but they'd each bumped into him, and he was the kind of man who seemed to slide into control of every situation, no matter who else was in the room. And he had a sense of justice that would curdle Lucifer's blood if poor old Nick ever had the misfortune to find himself in the same room with the bastard. The money made it worth the bother and Reeve's twisted sense of integrity told Jim they'd probably make it through with their skin intact. What he could not have guessed was how little else he might actually keep on the other side of the ordeal. Allie stood next to Reeve's agent. The tall woman had her back to him. She had an implausibly long shape, probably raised in low gravity where the bones had less to push against, and dressed in a pale blue shipsuit. She wore no hat, and her long, red hair fell loosely about her shoulders. On her left hip rested a fashionable long-barreled thermal in a leather holster. Allie nodded at Jim. The woman turned around. When Jim saw her face, his hand went immediately to the small of his back where he kept his thermal. You. Nothing more really needed saying.
1: Jim, this is Doug. We've met before. Cassiopeia Orenthal.
0: The woman's silk-smooth alto carried more than simple authority. It carried violence. Jim decided not to decline her handshake. They stood eye to eye for a moment before the grip contest finished in a stalemate. Jim Hartman.
1: You've met? Where?
0: Melissa. This is the woman who stole Briggs out from under our noses. In all her years growing up going to mass and confession, struggling through the confirmation classes and trying to understand the sacraments before finally giving up and just believing. Allie had never really believed in the devil. Even to her eight-year-old child mind, it didn't seem realistic. If God was as great as the liturgy said he was, there wouldn't be a devil at all. Maybe it was childish logic, but it was enough to keep her away from taking Satan seriously for the last 35 years. That was then. Now, a mercenary walked on her right and Jim on her left, and Jim kept trying to paw her while he kept looking past her at the guide as if he wanted to burn her down with his eyes. Like a moon stuck in eclipse, unable to move forward or backward for fear of being fired or bludgeoned, she wondered if she'd inadvertently stumbled into hell. When she stepped through the door into the hotel suite, she didn't wonder any longer.
1: Thank you for coming.
0: Reeves... It was one thing to accept a job from him over a long-distance link. Seeing him in the flesh after all this time was quite another. He reclined in an easy chair, reading something on his PPD. When they entered, they merited a cursory, polite glance and nod, directing them towards the couch opposite him. In private, he was the same as on the bench, a master of direction. Like an unholy king, he sat on his throne and moved others around him. Pieces on a chessboard. She'd been in the unwitting position of playing the pawn for him before. She knew what it meant. Allie let Jim sit down first. He predictably picked the edge of the couch nearest the door. She found her way to the far side of the couch, took her seat, and scrupulously studied the ends of her fingers at him. Despite the pretense, she noted that the mercenary stayed near the door. Reeves appeared to finish whatever he was working on, and set his PPD on the table next to his recliner. Before acknowledging the Hartmans a second time, he looked up at his lackey in the doorway.
1: Thank you, Cassiopeia. You'll handle the meat tomorrow morning? It's all arranged. Excellent. I'll see you then.
0: He dismissed her with a curt nod, and she spun on her heel and walked out the door. Now. Reeves sat up and looked squarely at Allie.
1: I have a job for you.
0: Somehow we guessed that. Jim shifted his weight forward on the couch, doing his best to match Reeves' intense posture. He was no match in the presence department. He never had been. What's the work? Allie grabbed control of the conversation before Jim turned it into a pissing match. She didn't need him defending her. She needed him to mind his own fucking business and do the job at hand.
1: We have a problem back on Luna. There's an underground movement funneling money and secrets through the docks in Luna City. We think they're working for the Persians, but we're not sure. If it's true, this is a major threat to everyone in the colonies.
0: Now it was Allie's turn to turn her attention fully on Reeves.
1: That's a big job. Why us?
0: He'd have to have a good reason to hire them, and Allie wasn't about to play the circus monkey unless she knew why. Reeves smiled magnanimously. You're the best there is in this business. No.
1: Why did you hire us? I've seen you before. I know what you have at your fingertips. You're
0: a spider with web lines in every direction. Why do you suddenly need to cast a line all the way to Mars to find us? Reeves held her gaze for a moment, and then nodded as if he'd made a decision. I have...
1: suspicions. I think this organization has support on the board. I also don't want questions asked about where my tip came from. You are the best there is. You're also my only option if I don't want word getting back up the ladder. You're working in strict confidentiality, which I know doesn't present a problem for you.
0: Reeves oozed authority from his pores the way some frogs oozed neurotoxins. He knew people cold, he knew how to present an offer, and he knew how to push people around to make them like it. She'd seen it before. Nothing much had changed. But Allie wasn't ready to cave yet. And why here? This is where the problem starts.
1: There's someone here who might be the key to the whole affair. He has a gift for this kind of thing. I think he's behind the terrorist attacks in the colonies the last few months, but I need to know for sure. If he's not, he may prove invaluable to me. If he is, I need him disappeared. Do you have a dossier?
0: Allie felt Jim shift uncomfortably next to her. Reeves grabbed a PPD from the table, a different one than he'd been reading, and handed it to her.
1: Everything you need to know is in there. In the slot there's a warrant card that will get you in with station security if you need backup.
0: Allie nodded her understanding and opened the file. Jim inhaled sharply.
1: We're investigators, Reeves, not killers. Jim's voice we ran over disappear.
0: the familiar speech in the back of her mind people. while she thumbed through the foreground of the lunar dock situation. She paged down the dossier and nearly dropped the PPD. Jim didn't notice. He was still lecturing Reeves. We don't disappear people. Allie didn't give a shit about cutting him off. Not now. Not with Reuben Briggs staring back at her from the screen of the PPD. Jim turned around on her, anger flashing across his features. What the- You have a vested interest in this one. Consider it a bonus.
1: You son of a
0: bitch. How could he know? Nobody knew. Nobody could know. Nobody except Briggs himself and that bitch who snatched him and who is now working for- Oh,
1: fuck! Allie, I'm not kidding. What the hell it's is-
0: Briggs! What? Jim grabbed the PPD from her and stared at it, slack-jawed. You knew. She poured all her malice into the words.
1: How did you know?
0: You recognized my assistant?
1: Yes. For the right price, she shares what she knows."
0: Reeves leaned back, his face set in a mockery of sympathy and kindness. The spider resplendent in his web, perhaps the serpent dangling fruit before her from the tree. After a lifetime of doubt, Allie found the missing part of her faith. Next time she took the sacraments, she could answer truthfully. Yes, she believed in Satan, but she could not renounce his works. He was her client. Cassie willed her eyes open just enough to cast about for the clock, but Joss's body blocked her view. What time is it? 600, give or take. Clipped, short, and growling. At least there was some distance in that. That's our cue. She sat up, then dropped back down to her elbows and steadied herself for a minute while the blood found its way back to her head.
1: Can you hand me the water?
0: Uh, uh, fine. Joss grumbled. His arm moved and his hand swooped over his body bearing a tumbler with a pittance of moisture swirling around in the bottom. His flat wasn't dry. He kept it humid, probably to remind himself of the weather back on Earth. It wasn't the pleasant moisture of Reservoir Cave. It was suffocating. It held sense. The smell of basil and pesto from last night's seafood pasta I would gotten hold of it up here, she'd never know. Mingled persistently with the smell of sex and clung to everything. She hated it. Her sweat didn't evaporate properly and she overheated in the bed and it always felt like she was trying to breathe underwater. But it didn't stop her from waking up with cotton mouth. The few drops in the glass didn't do much to get her saliva going again. She patted him on his hip, perhaps a little harder than she meant to. Time to get up, Joss. There's someone you have to meet. Go jump out an airlock. His growls were centering. His gruffness was as direct as his cunnilingus, and no less potent. With the Hartmans on one side and Reeves on the other, Cassie held on to every moment she had left with Joss before she had to get down to business. In an hour, she'd either find out that he betrayed them all or he'd think that she had when he walked into Phalanx and saw Reeves sitting there. She didn't understand the complex inner workings of the American government, but she expected that the two men would recognize each other. Jade was gone, as far as she was concerned. Xyler never grew up, and she didn't know if she could trust him anymore. Brittany was on Luna, running her show, leading her own life, and she didn't know about Cassie's secret vocation anyway joss was the last friendly face at least for the next hour so she coaxed him out of bed and into the shower stealing what few looks she could trading insults and veiled threats while she soaped his back and invading his privacy in little ways and letting him fight her off he was less open the last time she'd expected it she almost hadn't shown up the night before It would have been much easier to head back up to the docking ring and spend the night in the microgravity in her own quarters on Kyrie, or to find a dice game and send an email to Brittany. At the confrontation in his office, she'd seen something in him that she'd never seen before. Fear. Normally, he was dangerous, which made him attractive. A challenge that kept her interested, one she understood, and one where she always knew where she stood. But the fear just below his anger in the bar wasn't just dangerous, it was threatening. Every nerve in her body told her she should stay away, and the night spent fucking until she couldn't breathe anymore didn't change that. The stench of a cornered animal still rose off him like shower steam. It changed how he touched her and how she touched him, and she didn't like it. But it was, at the moment, all she had for comfort. Soon, even it would be gone, and she would be alone again. She considered last night a settling of the accounts. He found her sitting on the edge of his bed, tying on her boots. He'd already slipped his overcoat and fedora over his loose tunic shirt and slacks when he emerged from the washroom. Your ambassador's ready? He still wasn't happy about being woken after four hours sleep, and he clearly wanted to close the door on the night before. He'd better be. She stood and walked in front of him, making sure he realized that she did it deliberately, giving him the room to run before she'd noticed he'd gone, showing her back to someone who might just be tempted to take a shot at her. It was a bluff. She knew that whatever Reeves had in mind, it couldn't be good. She couldn't think of any better way to lead him into a trap than by showing him that she trusted him. Or wished she could. She wished she could. Phalanx yawned in front of them like the mouth of a long-beloved dog that suddenly turned rabid. Joss didn't know what Cassie's game was, but it wasn't like her to set up a meeting and not prepare him with dossiers, briefings, or anything else. It stank of a setup, and he now knew that he couldn't trust his security, no matter how many layers he put down. Watertight security was the kind of pornography they dished out at Secret Service bachelor parties, and he should have known better. The thoroughfare was nearly empty this time of the morning, so he'd have plenty of room to leg it if the prickles on his neck were something more than old ghosts. He'd taken advantage of Cassie's back to log into Fugitive and warm up the ship, just in case. He filed for takeoff clearance, he ordered fresh food for the stores, if he could survive the next four hours, he'd be able to leave on a moment's notice. Cassie took a glance back at Joss before she stepped through the door to Phalanx, whipping her red ponytail around like she was swatting flies. Joss automatically loaded a throwing star into his left hand and reached his right down into the pocket where he kept his trusty old sig. The short tuft carpet on the floor inside Phalanx dampened Cassie's footfalls and swallowed the other sounds whole. Not a lot of crowd noise in the bar, just some scattered low conversations and a very low, almost inaudible music track playing over the speakers to put the patrons at ease. Cassie sauntered far too confidently around the corner past the entryway. Joss caught a reflection in one of the mirrors on the wall as he rounded the corner. She was tense. It showed on her face. She came to a stop in front of a booth, three people in the booth cassie stood between him in a clear view of their faces and she knew it he shifted the throwing star so that it nestled between his fingers ready to deploy joss didn't see as he had much of a choice he took a breath and steeled himself for things to get very very messy and then strode up to the table as if he'd live long enough to still own the place tomorrow Cassie deliberately kept herself between him and the people at the table, watching him in the reflection from the picture frame that hung above the booth. Who in the hell is she hiding? Joss? Cassie's tone was light, but in the reflection he saw a warning in her eyes. Who are your friends? He kept the agitation out of his voice. Barely.
1: Oh, we know each other.
0: You've been listening to episode 22 of Antithesis, book one, Predestination, and other Games of Chance. Written and performed by J. Daniel Sawyer. Original music by Danny Shade, used with permission. This episode starred Danny Shade as the pilot, Kitty Nakian as the spaceport announcer, Brian Levy as Jim, Aaron Balabanian as Ali, Stephanie Sawyer as Cassie Orenthal, and George Klensaus as Douglas Reeves. Some sounds courtesy the Free Sound Project at www.freesound.org. Other sounds copyright 2008, Kitty McKeon and Artistic Whispers Productions. This audiobook was recorded, edited, and mixed at Artistic Whispers Productions in Castro Valley, California. The book is copyright 1997 and 2008, J. Daniel Sawyer, and the recording is copyright 2009, Artistic Whispers Productions. This recording is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 license, and all other rights are reserved to the author. He thought he would be the hero who solved the family crisis. He expected to take a simple trip to recover some old debts. He believed he would collect his money without any trouble. He was very mistaken. By the time Ray Davis realizes what he's gotten himself into, money is no longer important to him. Living to see another sunrise is... Acts of Desperation is the debut podcast novel from Tim Dodge. Subscribe today at www.timdodgestories.com. Keep your enemies close and your friends closer. Hey everyone, not many episodes left to go. I have actually a whole post show written for you, but I'm lagging and my voice is shot from this cold, so I'm going to get back to you with all the cool stuff from this week's post show in next week's post show. Special features coming soon. Watch the feed for an interview with composer Danny Shade. And for the new feedback show recorded last weekend with Gail Carriger and Chris Lester. I'll see you guys again next week. But until then, I leave you with the nagging... Actually, you know what? I don't have any nagging questions right now because I've got to go to bed. So until next time, remember... It isn't whether you win or lose. It's how you rig the game.